You're listening to Rolling Toe with trucking experts Kevin and Mike Beckett. This is the show where you ask the questions and we give you the diagnosis on how to get the most out of your truck. We'll talk about avoiding wear and tear, knowing your suspension and axles, and how to get more mileage from your tires. We're on the audio road. Let's get rolling. Good evening. This is Mike. And this is Kevin. And we're here to talk about tire wear and handling. And the subject for tonight is going to be inflation. Inflation. Keeping air in your tires, which is what they're for anyway. Hmm. Well, sort of. Actually, they're there to provide, the tires are there to provide uh, a cushion, some shock absorber. Mm -hmm. They're to provide traction. Yep. They're to provide steering control and braking. In order for them to properly do that, we need air in the tire to keep the footprint proper Mm -hmm. so that you have all those things. And that means you have to have the right air in the tire. And uh, there's winter air, there's summer air, there's spring air, there's fall air. Um, But what is the right air? So we're going to have a discussion on that. And for those listeners who have a comment or a question... Uh, push one on your telephone that will put you in the I want to talk queue. And if you push it twice, you'll go on and you go right back off. You don't want to do that because we won't know you have a question. Right. And in the meantime, I'm going to read one of the things that I wrote on inflation. We'll use this as our opening discussion. In order to talk about inflation, we need to set up some standards by which we can consider the matter. First of all, tires should be inflated properly for the load they are carrying. In other words, more load requires more air in the same size tire. Second, underinflation by 20% reduces tire life by 20%. But 20% overinflation only reduces tire life by 5%. More air is better than less air. Third, it's a common for commercial truck tires to lose between 3 and 5% inflation in 30 days of operation. So if you know the minimum pressure required for a load, and you start with that pressure, you can be reasonably certain you'll be underinflated by the end of a month. Next, let's consider the typical tires and loads used on U.S. highways. The most common size here is a 295-75 R225 or a 275-80 R225, which are basically the same size tire from two different manufacturers. These are also typically in the load range G, but there is a trend to move to the load range H. For our purposes, we'll stick with the load range G tire to simplify this. Load range G simply is indicating how much weight the tire can carry, where load range H can carry a heavier weight. It's also referred to as a 14-ply or a 16-ply tire. Inflations nationwide tend to be 100 PSI in the steer, drive, and trailer tires. This is simple and easy for the mechanics to maintain. Loads on the axles are about 12,000 pounds on the steer, 17,000 pounds on drive and trailer axles. This means that each steer tire is carrying about 6,000 pounds of load, while the drive and trailer tires are only carrying 4,000 
250 pounds of load or 50% more load on your steer tires than on your drive and trailer tires. Since the steer tires are carrying more load, they are all inflated to the same amount. So somebody's either putting too much air in one end or too little air in the other end or a combination of both because most people are running the same inflation front and back. To sort what out what's right or wrong, I've referred to the 2014 Continental Tire Data Guide on page 33. This is the load and inflation chart and includes both of these size tires. Both of these tires in a dual application carrying 4,300 pounds require a minimum of 75 pounds pressure, cold inflation, according to the chart. And for a single tire carrying 6,175, a minimum of 110 pounds pressure, cold inflation. Now, these uh, figures, this is from the Continental book. Mm -hmm. Is the Michelin or the Bridgestone book going to say something different? They're all basically the same within just a a few pounds of weight and a a pound or two of of inflation. There's really no differences. Now, as the tire temps increase, the pressure will rise but you should never have less than the specified pressure at cold inflation to carry the load. In other words, the 110 on the steer for 6175, you should never have less than that in the tire, according to the tire charts. At 100 PSI, the steer tire axle can only carry 11,600 pounds of load. So if you're actually running 12 or 12.2, you're 400 to 600 pounds overloaded. While the same pressure for a drive and trailer tire can carry 21,000 pounds on an axle. And you can only legally carry 17. So you've got more pressure than you need on the rear. You don't have enough pressure in the front. The real question is what works? For 40 years, we've run dual wheels at pressures from 90 to 100 PSI and found it produced satisfactory tire work. No one I've ever met claims that they run 75 in the rears, let alone that they're happy with 75 pound pressure. On the other hand, we're constantly complaining about the performance of our steer tires, but when I bring up more pressure on the steers, you would think I was speaking against the local sports team. Burn him at the stake, run him out of town. If you run tires overinflated, they'll wear out on the edges or in the middle. So my question is, do dual tires wear out in the middle? They're running 33% overinflated. And people tell me, no, they're not actually wearing out in the middle. So overinflation's not hurting them. But on the sidewall, it says 110 is the maximum pressure for the tire. Now, this is the next comment I get. Wrong. The sidewall specifies the maximum load for the tire. And in order to run that load, it also says this is the pressure you must run. So it says max load 61.75 at 110 PSI cold. You want to run that load? You have to have this inflation. You should never, ever run less air than that specified on side if you have that load. If you run minimum pressures, you also leave no margin for unexpected changes. For example, how much load is on the steer axle when you apply the brakes? Load shift to the front axle at the worst possible time for the tire. Now, that's the basis for the discussion today. All right. 
What questions do you have, Kevin? Well, let's see. Uh, first, what is the result, uh, resulting tire wear that you expect from too much air? Well, the, the expected wear would either be excessive wear on the shoulders or excessive wear on the middle, depending on your concept of what the tire will do when you overinflate it. If you think it's going to bulge up in the center, a lot of people think, well, it's going to run on the middle ribs, and so it's going to wear out in the middle. Other people say, well, if you lift the center, you're going to wear on the shoulders, and that's a concept we'll get into a little later when we talk about it. But in either case, if you're overinflated, the wear should be either in the middle or on the shoulders of the tire. Okay. And on each tire, what you're saying is you have an example already of a 33% overinflated tire, according to the chart. On the drive tires, all and, of them. And the trailer tires. Even the trailer tires. Your trailer tires are often uh, significantly overinflated 50% of the time because so many people don't run uh, run empty. Or uh, run partial loads. Or partial loads. Of course, that also applies to the drive axles. Because yes. The drive axles pick up most of their weight from the trailer, too. So both of those configurations, the drive axles, both of them, and the trailer axles, both of them, could run, well, for example, I was at a fleet last week, and he runs full out, empty back. So 50% of the time, he is way overinflated, and 50% of the time, he's 33% overinflated. But always overinflated on the drives. Right, right. And in those cases, in every, in, uh, every vehicle that you're looking at, I, we see inside edge wear on duels. We also see... Uh, edgeware on, on both sides on uh, wide base. Uh, wide basics. But rarely do we see edgeware on both sides or wear through the middle of a dual application tire that is overinflated. No, I never, we don't see it. It's, it's not a pattern we ever see. Right. right. So everybody's concerned about overflating the steer. True. Nobody's concerned about overflating the driving trailers. Right. Now, why is it that everybody's so concerned about overinflating the steer? What, what, what's the basis for everybody's uh, uh, concern? The statements that I typically hear from people, they say, well, if I run it overinflated, I'll suffer more impact damage to the tire. Okay. Well, that's fine, except you're running 16 out of 18 of your tires, 33% overinflated. Okay. The right. two steers are running underinflated. The second complaint I get is, well, if I overinflate them, the truck's going to ride rough. Okay, well, out of the 10 tires on the tractor, eight of them are already overinflated. And as we recently discussed, as, as we have discussed uh, and will again in the future, uh, caster actually has a significant amount to do with how rough that ride feels. Correct. We can change the roughness of the ride in the front end by reducing caster um, more effectively than we can with the inflation. And, and remember, when we talk about the inflation in the steer, you're running 100 pounds, a lot of people are, which is 10% underinflated, which is going to cost you at least 10% of the tire's life. Okay. Right. And we're not asking you to run 33% overinflated like you're on the drive and trailer tires. Overinflated, right, because you're supposed to already be at 110. You're supposed to be at 110 already. I'm asking you to run 10% overinflated. I'd like to see you run to 120. One, yeah, 115, 120, and something in that range. Now, to give you an idea of what this effect has, 
During the last week, I've been up in Canada doing a repeated series of seminars for fleets and tire dealers up there. We started this four years ago. In the March timeframe, February timeframe, I would go up and I'd spend a week talking to these people. And then I went back again last year and I went back again this year with the same dealers and some of the same fleets. Four years ago, I told them, you need more air. One of the fleets who came back last year and again this year said he took the idea to heart. Now, the tire wear pattern he was having because he was underinflated on low rolling resistance, fuel efficient steer tires is you get center rib and second rib cupping wear in the tire. All right. I, that does bring up a bunch of questions, but let's, let's leave those for a little bit. So normally you think if you're underinflated, you're either going to wear in the shoulders or you're going to wear in the middle. And he does wear in the middle with this cupping wear, this odd wear that everybody looks at. So what causes this? And I told them, in my opinion, this is underinflated. Four years ago, he went back to his boss and they run a big fleet. Uh, a big fleet for them is, I don't know, 100 trucks. Okay. That's a fair size fleet. He told his boss, I want to run more in the steers. The boss said, No, 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 no. 100 pounds is all we need. It's all we ever run. Well, it's all you ever run back before we started low rolling resistance tires and they're starting to show this pattern. So he talked the boss into allowing him to change the inflation on the 20 new trucks they were taking delivery of. The other trucks kept the same inflation. The 20 trucks in the first year never had an irregular cupping wear problem on those steer tires. So they went ahead and upped the inflation on all of the fleet. And the tire wear problems went away. Disappeared. Yeah, the second rib cupping, just gone. Okay, second rib cupping. Now let's talk about specifically that. Mm -hmm. this, this is, we believe, this is a wear coming from an underinflated tire. We said what we what we think we would see from an overinflated tire, and we just never see it. But what we know we see, we believe, is an underinflated tire, is uh, this cupping issue, especially second rib and sometimes center. Right. You now, what? Why does it wear just on the one rib? This low rolling resistance tire requires more air to push the footprint down against the road and keep it there. Remember, the weight that comes into the tire is pushed down by the rim, which means it's pushing down on the sidewall of the tire, which means it's entering the footprint on the outside shoulders. I hope that makes uh, uh, sense to the class. Well, okay. if it doesn't, we've got pictures of them. We'll put pictures up, yeah. Then the footprint, if it's not held down in the center by enough air pressure, the footprint physically buckles off off the ground and it starts cupping. And it will cup, and then it'll smooth out, and then it'll cup, and it'll smooth out. So you get this inconsistent cupping pattern around the second or third ribs on the tire. When you put enough air in there to push that footprint back down flat, the tire wears square. I see. All right. And and this is this is the thing that we have demonstrated numerous times. Right. You see this pattern on your first set of tires. You increase the tire pressure in the same model, the second set of tires, you don't see it. Don't see it at all. Right. Now, this are there times, whether it's a Continental Yokohama Goodyear or whatever it is, that you can have the right inflation and still see that? Pattern? Yeah, if you still have an alignment problem or a mechanical issue, the footprint can have irregular pressure across it because of the alignment, and that can cause some buckling too. 
But probably 75% of all the second rib cupping where we see, we solve simply by jumping the pressure up. All right. Okay. Uh, so this is that's our typical, this is, again, this are, as far as the regular everyday listening, this is the typical problem that you're, we're trying to defeat mm-hmm. is uh, too much irregular wear because too many people rely on an outdated uh, pressure uh Recommendation. Yes. yes. The old tires that we ran back in the 90s, which yep. were a standard rolling resistance, thicker casing, heavier belting tire, they could get by with 100 pounds. The new low rolling resistance tires really don't like it. You need more air pressure. Now, you say they can get by, mm-hmm. but was, was there some kind of damage because they were? Oh, yeah. You still lose 10% of your tread life if you run 10% underinflated. The tire generates more heat. You have more rolling resistance, which means you get a little bit increase in fuel consumption. So there's a lot of good reasons to put more air in. There are no good reasons that I've ever found to run underinflated. In fact, all the tire manuals that I've read from all the different manufacturers have repeated warnings in them about running underinflated. I don't find any warnings about overinflation. Not a one. The nope. one now, what about the rim? Isn't it? Yes, that is the limiting factor. People ask me, what is the maximum pressure for a tire? I haven't found a maximum pressure posted anywhere for a commercial truck tire. Passenger car tires, yes, on the sidewall, it does say max pressure and max load. Commercial truck tires don't. But the rim is stamped with a maximum cold inflation. Now, depending on the rim, aluminum or steel or thick aluminum or thin aluminum, there's a 120, 130, 140 pound pressure stamped on the rim that you should not exceed when you're cold inflated. When it heats up, it's going to go over that, but you should start no more than their recommendation. If you're getting a truck purchased with G-rated tires, you probably will get a rim stamped with 120 on it. If you order a truck with H-rated tires, and more and more of the new trucks are coming out with H-rated because with the setback front axles and the APUs and the and the particulate filters on them, the steer axles are carrying more and more around 13,000 pounds. So they're coming out with 13,200-pound front axles and H-rated tires. Those rims are typically stamped with a 130 pressure. Uh, it works out well because the G-rated tire in the low-pro configuration for 22.5 has a minimum recommended inflation of 110. And I would like you to run 120. Well, the rim stamped 120. That works out pretty good. The H-rated tire in the same size configuration has a minimum inflation of 120. And a 120, uh, an H-rated rim has a 130 pressure on it. So I've got that 10 pounds extra that I can put in. You can always put in 10 more pounds than your tire minimum. Right. And, and things wear better, and it handles better. People say, well, a truck will ride rough if I put 10 more pounds in it. Oh, come on, get real. You've got an air ride suspension, an air ride cab, and an air ride seat, and you think you can tell 10 pounds difference in your steer tire? I'm not buying it. Probably not. All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what my next question is. All right, my question is, All right. should you run more than those numbers. Now, I can't recommend more than those because the rim is giving you the maximum pressure. But the interesting thing that happened with this one fleet up in Canada that I talked about was when he went to 120, the boss was concerned about the mechanics understanding, I want 120 in the front and I want 100 in the back, and will they actually inflate them to those numbers? And what they wound up doing 
was they wound up going to 120 everywhere. Accidentally. No, deliberately. Oh, deliberately. He deliberately did it. He says, I want 120 in every tire. Why not? So all the steers, all the drives, all the trailers, all of them have 120 in them now. Okay? Okay. They're not having any problems anyplace. They're getting more trailer tire life. They're getting more drive tire life. They're not having any problems by going to the 120. Hmm. You can argue it back and forth, and I'm not going to argue with experience. His experience is it's working. Okay? The second thing that was interesting, and it steps outside of this, but I'll complete the story. Two years ago, this same fleet manager came back to the second session we were doing up there. And he said he had great luck with the inflation deal. And now he wants to experiment with the alignment stuff we're talking about. Now, this particular fleet didn't do their own alignments. They have an outside shop down the street that did it for them with some other brand of alignment equipment. But he brought the alignment tech with him. And so for the second session a year ago, both he and the alignment tech listened to everything I talked about about the alignments. The tech went back and modified his settings that he was using to match ours. He changed his process a little bit to match what we want. And this year, they reported that they got a big increase in steer tire life and in handling improvements. And now they went, from the first time I was there, they were averaging about 100,000 kilometers on steer tires. Now, that was about 60,000 miles they were to pull them because of all this cupping work. Right. The second time they were back, they were getting 200,000 kilometers on steer tires, which was about 120,000 miles. This year, after the alignment changes, they reported back that they're consistently getting 300,000 kilometers on steer tires or 180,000 miles. And I said, well, why are you back? He said, we want more. (laughs) So we're trying to find other things to do to help them get in even better. Inflation is part of the problem with the regular work. The reason we're talking about this is as an alignment technician, the people come back to me and complain their tires were wrong, and it must be your fault. That is a problem. And so we have to learn all of these other things that are getting us blamed, and inflation is one of them. Right. And that's, I just to sidetrack just a little bit, that's a um, an endemic problem with the industry mm-hmm. is not putting everything together to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. It's just trying to figure out how to how you can avoid being blamed for the problem. Well, that's all I've ever wanted to do is cover myself. <laughs> the the there are several parts of the process we use that when I was in Canada they said but the provincial government and the inspectors and regulators say you have to do it this way and this way and this way and I said fine you can keep doing it that way you can keep running those inflations if you want you can do your bearing adjustments the way you want and you'll continue to have the same problems you've been having And they said, well, you need to go to the provincial government and convince them this is the right way to do it. And I said, why would I spend my time and my money going to convince your provincial government that you should do it differently? I said, that doesn't put any money in my pocket. I don't have any vested interest in doing that. Nobody's going to pay me to do this. I said, you've got the vested interest. You're losing the money. You need to go talk to your provincial government and convince them of different processes and stuff. And I said, if they want to bring me as an expert to discuss it, I'll be glad to. But I said, I don't know why I would be motivated to go do that. (laughs) Okay. Solve your problems. Well, we do a lot of solving problems for people. We try. Yeah, that's our job. Now, just to make sure we're clear on inflation here, 
The drive and trailer tires only require 75 PSI as the minimum pressure. The steer tires require 110 PSI as the minimum pressure. For the load that they are carrying. Right. Now, I talk to fleet operators all the time. I said, would you run 75 pounds on the rear? No, no, no. We know that won't work. Well, if you wouldn't run the minimum pressure in the rears, why are you running less than the minimum pressure in the steers? Right. And if you don't want to do that, then you should at least get to the minimum in the steers. And I recommend just a little bit more than that. I have to tell you. In order to solve your problems. Okay. Um, the 105, now you're going to see some tires that are going to say 105 on the side. If you go from a low pro 22.5, a metric size tire, right. to an 11R 22.5, you'll find the minimum pressure for it is 105. It's a slightly bigger tire. It takes a little less pressure. If you get into either one of the 24.5 tires, the low pro 22.5 or the 11R 24.5, both of those will give 105 pounds pressure. Now, I'm not going to quibble about the five pounds back and forth between them. I would like to see 120 on all of those tires, better results if we do that. Right. Now, when you go to the H-rated tires, which is kind of interesting, in, in my inspections of them, my look at the, the load inflation charts, all H-rated tires, whether the low pro 22s, low pro 24s, 11R22s or 11R24s, all of them have 120 on the sidewall. They don't even give a five-pound differential like the others are doing. Right. They want more air. And there's still a lot of people running those at 100 pounds. Oh, yeah. I see that all the time. Uh, and, and now they're 20% underinflated. And you're really seeing irregular wear. And you're blaming the weight on the axle. Correct. Now, since we're going to discuss inflation, Let's discuss the general concept of inflation between a pair of duels. All right. The chart shows that the tire should have 75 pounds. Most people are running between 90 and 100, which is fine. The important thing between the duels is that the inflation between a pair of tires should match within five pounds. Right. At 10 pounds, we'll start seeing a regular wear in the underinflated tire. And by 1,000 miles, you can have a really significant cupping pattern. In it. 20 pounds can ruin a tire a lot faster than that. Right. Okay. Question? Nope. Nope. Okay. So we want even inflation in dual wheels. Especially. Whether you're going to run 90 or 100 or 110 or 120 back there, that's your decision. But keep the pressure even. In that area, we have to talk about automatic inflation systems. Okay. <laughs> if your automatic inflation system is not capable of maintaining pressure between those two tires within five pounds, it's ruining tires. It's ruining tires and it's not getting blanked. And I've seen it all over the place. We do see it all over the place. And and in my looking into that, I'm not convinced that it is the inflation system itself that is at fault. I think it's a component that's used in all inflation systems, including ones that don't have automatic inflators, that is the problem. I think it's the valve core. Right. The valve core can get stuck open. The valve core can get stuck closed. Yeah. 
And if the automatic inflation system can't push it open to put more air in it, then that tire is going to lose air. The other tire is going to maintain air, and you have an imbalance. Right. And most automatic inflation systems on one wheel end where there's two tires will have as many as six valve core valves. Six, right. They're called Schrader valves. What's the little valve that's in the valve core? They can have six of them. There'd be one in each tire. There's one in each hose that connects up to the T. Right. And then there's two in the T. And this is and this is a discussion about a little device called a Schrader valve. Called a Schrader valve. Okay. And if that Schrader valve is stuck open or stuck closed, you've got a balancing problem in maintaining inflation between your tires. And all of a sudden, that system that you spent, I don't know how much they cost, you know, $2,000 when you order the trailer, right. is not maintaining equal pressure because the Schrader valves are a problem. Right. And as far as I would be able to understand, the Schrader valve has not been redesigned or, or modified since they were originally designed in the early 1900s. Right. I, I understood that too. And now what I, so the, the problem then with the inflation systems is that they have added oh, six weaknesses per end. Wheel end, yeah. In order to try to keep the thing inflated. Right. Now, that's not really a bad thing. Uh, because you still you are actually using an inflation system. Mm -hmm. What is bad is that you are relying solely on that mm -hmm. to keep your pressure up. Right. If you have what we prefer, a tire a tire pressure monitoring system, mm -hmm. it's not a belt and suspenders. It's uh, it's another step in the process of maintaining your your pressure. If you just rely on the the inflation system. You're relying on something with too many weak components to save you money. And it's not reporting anything to you. Exactly. You have to physically go and dismantle it to check your inflation. Yes, yes. Remove it from your tire right. in order to check your inflation. If you have a tire pressure monitoring system that's already in the tire, right. it's reporting to you that it's working. Sure, you're mm -hmm. getting a report. You not only have something that's doing the job, you have another thing that's telling you it's working. Maybe one or both of them. Well, both of them are going to have to fail before you're going to start losing money on it. Right. And I personally, if I had a choice between an automatic inflation system and a monitoring system, I prefer the monitoring system. Right. They're more dependable. They'll give you alerts. You can have an idea what's going on. Right. All right. Now, I'm going to pause at this point and mention to the listeners that if there's anybody that's got a question or a comment, or if you'd like to get involved in this discussion anyway, push one on your phone. That'll cue you up so we know you've got a question. We'll be glad to answer your questions or take your comments. In the meantime, Kevin and I will continue with this discussion. By golly, we have somebody. Let's see what they want. We'll see. Oh. What's area code? We've got a question from the 303 area code. 303. Here, hold on a second. All right, are you live with us? Mike, Rick Ash in Denver. How are you tonight, sir? I'm good, Rick. How are you doing? Doing just fine. First of all, thanks to you and Kevin for doing uh, this. I never... It never, uh, I always learn something when I listen to you guys talk, so I really do appreciate it. More than welcome. Uh, somebody's listening. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, kind of like a two part question here, if I may. I run all Michelin tires. I've got the XDA3 Plus on my steers, the 24.5 Low Pros. I run them at 110 PSI. Chad Hone in Kansas City does my alignments, and I've got great wear on the steer tires. 
but I'm kind of hearing from you that you might recommend that I run 120 in them. Is that true? Yeah, we're finding a little higher pressure is actually working a little better. Now, if you're at 110 on a 105 tire, you're probably not seeing much irregular wear, if any, at all. Absolutely but at one, Good. But at 110, you're generating a certain amount of heat in the casing, and we're finding that if they run just a little more air, if you monitor your miles per 30-second wear rate, they're actually getting a little better overall mileage. No difference in the in the irregular patterns, but the overall mileage is a little better. Okay, and and I'm under the impression too that that if the when you run more air in your tires, it's going to help your fuel mileage as well. Correct. You reduce rolling resistance slightly. There's not a great difference between, let's say, 105 and 115 or 120, but there is a difference. Okay, very good. And then the second question has to do with my uh, drive tires. I'm still running the white base singles. Uh, I'm running the 455 Michelin's because they're the same diameter as a 24.5 low pro tire. So that way, uh, when I put them on, I didn't have to change my steer tires and rims. Um, but I am seeing more wear in the center of my white base singles than I am on the outside edges. And my question is, is that underinflation or is that overinflation? It could be either because we're still experimenting with these tires and the way they're designed. But my question to you is, what speeds are you typically driving at? What's your average speed? Uh, I'm a Kevin Rutherford disciple, 57 miles an hour all day, every day. If you had a brand new set of those Michelin drive tires and you had them inflated and on a rim and you stood and looked through the tire front to back, not across the tire, you would notice that the center of the tire dips down. The tire is designed that at a certain speed, it's going to center, expand up, and it'll create the correct contour so that the footprint is right. If you run underinflated, the center will be even further down. And if you don't run fast enough to stretch the tire up to its full height, the center will be down. And when the center is down, it'll tend to wear faster. Now, this I normally wouldn't be discussing this, but let's do it now anyway. I'm gonna I'm gonna take off on another subject here, Rick, and I wanna I wanna kind of follow this so you understand why the center is wearing. If you had dual wheels and you had one tall tire and one short tire, which one do you think would wear out first in that duel? No, I'm gonna say tall tire. And actually it's the short tire. And I the reason that. is this. You knew that. You're good. But you had no, to say no, it. You I had to... I was going to get wrong. There you go. If you separated the two tires, one tall and one short, and you measured the circumference of the tall tire, and let's say it's 10 feet around, when you roll it once, it goes 10 feet. You measure the short tire, and it's 9 feet 10 inches round. When you roll it once, it goes 9 feet 10 inches. But when you bolt them two together, the tall tire is carrying more weight, and it will drag the short tire two inches every time it goes around once. So the shorter tire, because it's dragging two inches every rotation, and it rotates 500 times a mile, it'll drag 1,000 inches a mile, and it'll wear faster than the tall tire. 
Now, I'll grant you the tall tire is carrying more weight than it should, and it's wearing a little faster than it should, but its wear rate will be nothing Okay. I forgot to mention that I'm currently running 120 PSI on the white base tank. Did I lose you? Hello, everybody. Are you all there? Oh, we I'm got still there. I thought I lost you. No, our, our whole computer system uh, shut off. We just had to dial back in, so sorry for the interrupt. Okay, so what I was saying was if you have a tall tire and a short tire, the short tire is dragging to keep up with the tall tire. Now, let's look at your wide base tire. There are nine individual ribs going across that tire. Each one of those ribs is like a separate tire. They have their own circumference, which means they'll travel their own distance. At speed, those ribs all need to be the same height or compatible heights so that they all drag the same distance every time you rotate once. If the center of the tire is down, you have short tires in the middle three or four ribs, and you have tall tires in the other ribs, and as a result, the center of the tire will wear faster than the shoulders of the tire. Does this make sense? Yep, compared to with, with the discussion we just had about the tall tire and the short tire, yeah. Yep. And the unfortunate thing is once you start a tire net pattern, it's very difficult to get it to go the other way. Yep. Okay. So based on what you're telling me, I'm going to suggest to you more air. Because, wanna... because he's not going to tell a, a Kevin Rutherford disciple to drive faster. No, I don't think that'll work. But more no, I like air. I feel much. I'm not driving faster. Right. So more air hopefully will push the center of the tire out so it'll keep the same circumferences and reduce that center rib where you're looking at. That makes sense. Okay, that sounds good. Cool. Right. Now, what I'll pressure are you shot. running back there? What, what pressure are you running back there? Yeah, I said it while, while you had dropped off the uh, drive tires. I'm currently running 120. 120, okay. My gut feeling is 125, 130. Okay. Couldn't hurt. I can do that. Now, how much, now on those rims, on a, on a wide base single rim, what's the max pressure you can run on that? I, I'm, I can't remember looking at one, but I think it's a 130 rim. Okay. So you shouldn't have an, an inflation problem as far as the rim is concerned. And, and it will actually, by increasing the inflation and reducing that drag, should increase your fuel economy. Really should, yeah. Any, yeah, no, I've more air it's hard to ride, but then my truck's a 99, so it's not riding smooth anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, so I've always, always on the impression that if you increase your tire pressure, you're going to get better fuel mods. So I don't have a problem with the 125 or 130 at all. Now, as far as the rough ride goes, when you hit bumps, let's say the expansion seam going up onto a bridge, or the little ex the, the highway expansion seams are hard to identify. It, do you feel the bump when your steer tire hits it, or do you feel it when your drive tires hit it? Uh, if I had to be honest, I'd probably say both because I'm getting ready to change out my shocks because I, I think it's time. I think I've got like 200,000 miles on my shocks. The shocks don't make it ride rough. Shocks make it just bounce more. Right. The impact 
the jolt when you hit the bump is what I'm looking for. And shock doesn't stop that. Yeah, they can't. They're not designed for that. Okay, in that case, I'd say drives. Okay, all right. In that case, we may not be able to do a lot for your smoothness of ride. But we did point out in another show that most front ends have between four and five degrees of caster in them. And casters used to return trucks to center and make them want to drive straight. But most tandem drive axle long wheelbase trucks today with power steering only need two degrees of caster for directional stability and return to center. And if I drop the caster three degrees from five degrees to two, I can reduce 30% of the road shock when the front wheels hit the bump. You might want to mention that, uh, whether it's to Chad or to any mechanic you can find, just I'd like to lower the caster. Yeah, it's not part of a normal alignment to reduce caster, but it's something we experimented with years ago. The other interesting thing we found when we reduced the caster is for every degree we reduced caster, we got a 10% increase in steer tire life. No, that would be nice, too. Yeah, so a little improvement in ride, a little improvement in tire life, all for just changing the caster a little bit. And as long as the directional stability stays good, it's a win-win deal. Right. All right. Okay. You have more questions, you know, or we got you covered? No, I think that sounds good. I've still got that inside-edge cupping problem that I discussed with you at GAS last year, but um, you know, there's nothing much I can do about that because of, of my axle. So, um, now you're running the two inch not, offset rims. Um, I, I didn't make any changes. I'm just, I'm just going to leave it the way it is. And, and, uh, when I, when I go to change the tires out again, I'm probably going to go back to duels. Okay. You, you could do that if you want. We've got several guys that have experimented with taking those two inch offset rims and flipping them around so that you actually wind up with a one-inch inset instead of a two-inch outset. The tires wear great. They said the truck handles just fine. And uh, this is anecdotal data, but they say that they actually got a little fuel economy improvement because the flexing in the axle was causing more fuel consumption. That's an idea. Yeah, it was it was a decision because at the same time that, that I, I was talking to you about possibly doing that, I had put real wheels, aerodynamic wheel covers on my uh, on the rims, and once I flipped them like you're describing, there wasn't going to be any way for me to attach those aerodynamic wheel covers on there because they don't make mounting hardware to accommodate that. Yeah, the hub would protrude out too far. That'd be a problem. Yeah. Okay. So well. I just decided to stick with the fuel mileage, but... Uh, I'm still playing with it, trying to decide what I want to do, but I appreciate your help very much. You have yourself a good day. Yep. Thanks. Okay, folks, that was one good question we got through there. If there's anybody else that has a question or comment, want to talk about inflation or tire wear or any other thing you happen to have on your mind, give us a call. Or, no, punch one. He's a call. You already <laughs> called. Punch one on your phone dial, and that'll put you in the queue. We can answer questions for you. In the meantime, we have been discussing inflation today and its effect on tire wear, its effect on fuel economy, and stuff like that. What you got, Kev? What about nitrogen? All right. Now now you got into my prejudice here. <laughs> we got some time. <laughs> I have been discussing this with different tire engineers from the different companies. 
and I've read it in all of the tire manuals. The tire engineers really don't care if you run nitrogen or not, because in their opinion, it is not a significant factor in the life of a tire. It doesn't damage the tire. It doesn't particularly help the tire. The biggest advantage that I can see to nitrogen in a tire is that when you generate the nitrogen, you take all the moisture out and you wind up with dry air in the tire, which is a good thing. If you had regular air and you had an air dryer on your supply line, so it took the moisture out, you get the same thing. Now, what is the other differences between nitrogen air and aired tires? You have no oxygen. With no oxygen, you have no oxidation in the tire. Rim rust and stuff is minimized. The second thing is oxygen molecules are smaller than nitrogen molecules. Now, 78% of the air we breathe is nitrogen. 22% is other stuff, including oxygen and other contaminants. All right. If you run pure nitrogen, the concept is that these smaller nitrogen or oxygen molecules, which can seep out through small crevices and, and holes in the tire, the nitrogen doesn't seep out, so you don't lose as much inflation pressure. So if you could move from 78% nitrogen up to 100% nitrogen, then you wouldn't be losing as much pressure between inflation. Whatever the difference is going to be. Right. The other argument is that nitrogen dry air retains less heat. The tire doesn't get as hot. The problem I have with that is that the formulas for cold inflation for tires is based on a known heating rate, which depends on regular air. Right. So if you're going to run nitrogen, you're going to run a little cooler, and your hot pressure is going to be less. So you're going to be less inflation in your tire when you're hot than you will with oxygen. And I've learned that I want more inflation when I'm hot, not less. True. So I, I'm not really excited about it. If you want to do it, go ahead and do it. But it doesn't do a whole lot for me. We do have another caller with a question. So let's go check that out. All right, from the 763 area code, you are on with us. Yeah, hello there. Hi. Hello? This hello? Mike. Can hello. you hear me now? Hello? Hello. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hear you. Yep. <laughs> yeah, okay. See, I got a question. My name's Phil. Uh, I, I pulled a, a spread axle trailer, and I noticed uh, the tires on here, they seem like they're wearing on the inside of uh, both axles, all four tires, that they're cupping a little bit on that outer ridge tab. Uh, yesterday I had to end up buying two used ones to put on, and uh, then I took the other ones all around to put them on the outside to last longer. Uh, would that be a bearing a little loose, or what would that be? There's two things. Now, now I want to clarify that we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about cupping on the tire close to the frame. Is that correct? Yes. Two things that cause that. One, if the wheel bearing is a little loose, the tire will wiggle as you go down the road, and it will cup the inside edge of the inside tire. That's been a problem that we've had since bearings actually got on on, uh, axles. Yes, and there is a way to adjust bearings to make sure you resolve that. But since about 2003, 2004, on trailers... There is a specific brand of trailer axle that was designed and built to be lighter than the standard axle. It's about 10 pounds lighter. 
But because it's lighter, it doesn't have the rigidity of the standard axle. And as you drive down the road and you hit bumps in the road, the axle itself will physically flex and bow, and it chops the inside edge off the tire. If you have that axle, tightening the bearings isn't going to help you. So the question is, Hendrickson air ride suspension on your trailer? Uh, no, uh, guys, no, I'm not sure. I'm drawing a blank on which trailer uh, I got this one okay. on. Uh, if you I'd get have... out, you have to stop before you get out. Don't do that right now. But if you get out uh, and walk back and look at your trailer, and in front uh, of the trailer, spring hanger that comes down, and there's a big beam that comes up and hooks into it. And if there's a round washer about four inches in diameter, it's got a big mm-hmm. bolt in it, square and there's a square hole that you would put like a breaker bar in to turn the washer, that's, that's a Henderson. Yep. And the odds are you've got that lightweight axle. Yep. Oh, okay. So uh, when you're ordering a spread axle, you're probably better off to, uh, to, when you spec out a new one just to order it with heavy axles. I, I believe that anybody that orders any trailer is better off ordering anything other than this large diameter axle because we've got standard spreads and we've got widespread axles all over the North America with this suspension that are having the same cupping problem on all of them. Yep. All of them. Oh, okay. they're after you. Are they, are they and, listening to you? I can hear them. Uh, <laughs> now, if, if, the, if it was the other one, like you say, with the bearing loose. You have to take it off, or can you jack it up and just put a pry bar? Would it show enough on a pry bar? Like, if you, if you move the tires, you, it wouldn't even show that much. If you jack it up on one side of the axle and not the other, and release the brake. Now, uh, are you big guy? Pardon me? Are you big guy? You weigh a couple hundred pounds? Yeah. Okay. You grab the top of the tire with both hands, put your leg back, and push in on the top as hard as you can and let it come back. And if it's loose, it'll go clunk, clunk. Okay, all right. It's all it takes, and you'll know it on a trailer. If you have a if you have a pry bar and a socket to lever lever it against, then you could just use that too. But yeah, if you use a pry bar, you want to go under the tire. You want to put a socket or something down to use as a fulcrum, and then you push down on the bar, and it pops up on the tire, and you'll get a clunk, clunk that way too. Clunk, clunk there. Okay. Yep. Okay, all righty. Uh, I have to check that out when I get home. Then, because I said I bought two Michelins and uh, the owner of the trailer, my friend there, uh, he wasn't real fond. I think of me buying a Michelin for it. Uh, he mm-hmm. said they kind of wear on a spread, and uh, you know they'll cut these. Probably not going to last that long. So I, I don't know. The thing you got to remember about a spread compared to a regular one is that each axle on that spread can carry twenty thousand pounds, where each mm-hmm. axle on a standard only can carry 17. That means those tires are carrying more weight than a standard. And you really need more inflation in a spread axle than you do a regular because more weight per tire. Okay? The second Uh thing you need to remember about a spread is they are not designed to turn around a corner. Nope. One of those axles is going to drag sideways, and it causes a lot of wear. It does. And usually the worst wear is on the right front wheel position. The second is on the left front, then the left rear, and then the right rear is the best wearing position, usually. Okay? 
It has to do with the way we drive, the way we turn corners. Now, do you have a dump valve on that to let air out of one of the axles when you're turning? I'm plumbing all for it, but the solenoids, uh, it hasn't been used for a while, so now I don't know if solenoids are bad. i got to get solenoids put on the axles so I can dump them. If, if you dump it when you turn, you're going to help some of that lateral dragging. But remember, if you dump the weight out of one axle when you're turning, the other axle and the other tires are 100% overloaded when you're turning a corner. Yeah. So that's a problem, too. Mm-hmm. Okay? All righty. All right, buddy. You have yourself a good day. Okay, you too. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, bye. All right. Okay, very good. So we're we're getting a few questions answered. We're talking about some inflation. We've had some tire wear issues. Um Next week, we're going to talk more about inflation. We're going to be discussing what happens when the tires heat up, what happens when you're running in cold environment, what happens when you're in hot environment, what happens when you drive fast, when you drive slow, and what that means to inflation. Because remember, we're talking about the cold starting inflation today. And on steer tires are experiences we would like you to have 5 to 10 pounds over what the sidewall says. And we did actually discuss a little bit of tall tire, short tire in the middle of this. So we'll get into that stuff more in detail in another show. Okay. All right. One more chance. If anybody out there has a question or a comment, punch one on your phone. We'd be glad to take it. We've got about five minutes left. Very good. We've got one here. Let's see who's this. One more question from the 760 area code. Hold on just a second. That's Southern California. Mike and Kevin, this is Donald up there in the up here in the Julian area. Julian, I used to live in Julian, California. I yeah, graduated. I called you once. Before. I called you once before on a couple of questions, and I had another question about the TPMS sensors. Okay. Uh, from what I understand, they operate within a certain pressure range, and if we increase that, will that change the TPMS settings? I believe they're programmable on most of the systems. So you program in. The, the, the sensor in the tire simply reports to your, your dashboard unit what the pressure is. And I understand you can program on your dashboard unit what pressure you want in there and what pressure you want the alerts to come on. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, okay. it's still, even if it goes up to 120, 125 pounds, it should still be able to report. Oh, it reports. I had uh, uh, Jeff Sarley was testing these. I believe it was Jeff. And and he said that driving across Texas and New Mexico in the middle of the summer when it was 110, 115, the tire pressure in his tires got up to 180. And it was reporting it. He could see it. Wow. Nice. Does that help? Okay, uh, Kevin, uh, thanks for uh, letting me in there for the question. I'm going to be looking at buying some of your equipment here very soon uh, from uh, Jeff, the uh, salesman. And uh, sure. come back uh, come back and visit Julian when you get a chance, and uh, I'll be uh, uh, listening to you guys uh, further down the road. Thanks for the uh, letting That's me in there. Fine. Thank you, sir. You're more than welcome. Thanks for calling. Okay. Do we have another question yeah. there? Yeah, we have one more. It's from, the, uh, from the 501 area code. 501. Uh, hey, how you doing, us. gentlemen? We're hey, doing we're good. Doing, you? Doing? Uh, I'm good. This is Jimmy in Illinois. 
my question is super singles, uh, two-inch offset. I'm seeing uh, it's breaking the uh, brake uh, support bracket off the axle. I've heard that you can flip those wheels around. Is that true? Yes. We recommend you do if you've got the two-inch offsets. We've had several people testing them for several years now. You flip them around. You're going to have to redirect your valve core at an angle out through the handhole so you can get at them because they'll be underneath the brake drum. But other than that, okay. it works just fine. Uh, we get much better tire wear. You don't get the breakage of those S-cam brackets. And uh, the, we've even had reports that the guys say when they did it, the truck rolled better. They had less uh, tire, uh, better fuel economy and better handling. Okay. Uh, super singles on a spread axle. Uh, any suggestion on which tire to use? No, I don't get into uh, which tire to it. use. That's Yeah, that's that's not something I, I pay a lot of attention to. Uh, there's a lot of different tires out there. There's some that work better than others. I would suggest that you go on Facebook or one of those uh, uh, groups and and post your question and get that information from guys that run tires. I don't do that. Okay. Thank you, sir. All right. Appreciate it. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You too. Thanks for calling. All right. We have done an hour's worth of this. We've answered some questions. We've had a good time. We appreciate you listeners. We will do this again next Sunday, and we will continue with the discussion on inflation at that time. All right. Thank you all. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Rolling Toe. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.